All right, guys, we have another episode of the Retake Lounge tonight, and uh, we're excited for this one. But before we jump into this episode, um, just wanted to throw a shout out for those of you that have messaged us on a weekly basis. We get messages every week about um, how our podcast has influenced and impacted you guys. And I just want to say that those messages are very humbling for us, and we are very thankful for those messages. We have said from the beginning, we are not a podcast. Uh, we're, we're not a co-host that are experts in in doing this. Um, we are not experts in keeping retics and breeding retics. Um, we are just here to share our experiences, information that we have gathered to share with you guys and to provide a good community for new keepers and new breeders. And uh, the amount of positive messages that we get each and every week it's just it's humbling and and for each and what uh, every one of you that have reached out to us just thank you so much for that um for those of you tuning in today uh whether it's on youtube go ahead like subscribe and comment do not forget we are also on spotify and apple podcasts for those of you that want to tune in while you're cleaning cages um i'm gonna let nathan take it away on what tonight's episode is about, and I say tonight because we are recording this at 10.40 p.m. Central Time. So for you guys, it might be in the morning when you're listening. But anyways, Nathan, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, first of all, just make sure that you're a member of good old US ARC. Uh, member numbers are the most important thing ever, but make sure that you're a, a subscriber to their YouTube, subscriber to their Instagram. Give them their numbers everywhere. So um we're gonna be talking about introducing males and females so first i think you know when when meeting a lady you gotta you know make sure that they're single first and foremost if they're not you know and they're still trying to pursue you maybe just distance yourself red flag red flag and then if they're single then maybe take them out to the club take them out to the bar take them out to a movie a nice dinner, something like that. I don't know. And then see where it goes from there. Don't start your introduction until you've at least given yourself that first date, though. It's Lucas? important. It No, that, that I mean, it's important, especially with, with retakes. You want to make sure that you can wine and dine your retake before... <laughs> You you go ahead oh, oh, and do introductions. We're, we're, we're talking snakes. Okay, okay. Okay. Oh, my mind's oh. in other places. Never mind. My my bad. Okay, yeah. We are so tonight's episode, as Nathan said, we are going to be diving into introductions. Um, I just punched my mic and I'm moving my camera. Sorry, everyone. Um, so yeah, we we've been getting uh, a lot of questions uh, on our Patreon as well as our um as well as just messages because right now we're at the peak of breeding season for most people. We're, we're, we're in fall going into winter. This is when temperatures are dropping. And so, um, introducing retics can be a little sketchy for a new breeder. And so we just wanted to have a very thorough conversation and breeding segment on doing this. As I was talking, I mentioned Patreon. Um, if you guys are interested, We'll have the link below. We have 33 and counting members on our Patreon. For five bucks a month, you can get access to our extremely active Discord um, where we have experienced keepers, uh, aspiring breeders, and people that don't even have retics. So for those of you listening to this and you don't have a retic, you have a home. That's here at the Retic Lounge. 
Um, Nathan, let's jump into um, introductions. And I think that we need to talk about retic breeding behavior. We have an episode we've already done on that, but let's specifically talk about breeding behavior in regards to doing introductions and what we need to be looking out for. So first signs of anything starting in my breeding season is just going to be food response on my female. Cool. Uh, I, I mean, once I start seeing that female amp up and just be hungry a little bit more frequently, then I'm going to bump up that feeding, bump up that feeding. And then I have a good, good idea that I'm going to start seeing follicular growth. Yeah. Um, and just to comment on that, again, we're going to post a link down below for our retic breeding behavior where we get into details about, you know, knowing when your female's writing, those kind of things. But um, a large part of when you do your first introduction has to be based off of the interactions and the behavior of your female. Because if you have an old enough male, the male is going to show signs um, that it's ready when you do that introduction if the female is primed and ready. Um, and so typically females prior to cycling and going through their follicular development will go through a phase of a very heavy food response, meaning they're telling you, I need more calories because I need more reserves in the tank to start building eggs. Your females, sometimes, not all the time, but in my observation, again, experiential, in my experience, my females, right before they start developing follicles, it's it's almost impossible for me to get them out of the enclosure without them biting the hook, without them throwing coils at me, without them telling me like, hey, feed me more. And so listen to that and start feeding them more. Um, and then, you know, I think it's important to also talk about like in terms of breeding behavior, um, males, like, you know, there, there's this idea that, that this myth around that, you know, if you're getting your first retic, get a female super dwarf, you know, they're smaller in size in males because during breeding season, males can be kind of dangerous or they could be finicky. And, um, you know, it's not true for every male, but in my experience, there are males that will react pretty intensely during the breeding seasons when your female is cycling. Like even before my female starts to tell me they want food, I have males that are acting like a bunch of assholes. I don't know about you, Nathan. <laughs> uh, so the first male I ever dealt with, yeah, I mean, he was just kind of a dick to start out with. Uh, I don't think that's a, a, a really just a breeding season thing with him. It was a year round, uh, just had it out for you kind of attitude. But luckily, that was a, a snake on breeder loan. Uh, the male I'm dealing with now, I treat him like that other snake, but he is the easiest animal. Um, he definitely does show male breeding signs and he gets excited to breed, but he doesn't get combative with me, which is something we'll definitely yeah. cover quite a bit in this episode is just, uh, you know, uh, 
during the breeding season, uh, I'm sure people have heard about this in the past and maybe if you haven't, uh, then cool. But, uh, yeah, but hormones, <laughs> these snakes can tell if their keeper is a male or female. So the males with other males can end up getting combative. So sometimes a female keeper has better luck with the males and sometimes too much luck with the males. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I mean, let me, I, I think that's a really good point because I, when I first got into, to breeding, I had a mentor at the time that told me to be careful with males because males can tell that I was a male. And I was like, okay, like, I, I, what do you, what do you mean by that? And and now that I've actually had the experience of keeping a wild caught male and I've had the experience of keeping captive bred males, um, you know, there, there is definitely, so snakes produce pheromones, right? That that's what we call what animals produce when they're getting ready to breathe. They will release basically hormones out into the air that tells a male and tells a female the other is interested. And that that's what kind of that it's a, it's a, a hormonal chemical that enters into their body from the other person that tells them it's time to breed. Well, um, from my observation, you know, this isn't scientific fact, right? This isn't scientific data that has actually been studied and researched. So I just want to say that right off the bat. But, um, you know, I have noticed males with me get, you know, the most docile males that I have during my breeding season will be very testy, will be very defensive, will be very twitchy, will tug at me, will, will get very upset. Um, that that's very out of the norm. And then we have an amazing Patreon member. Her name is Alessa. Um, she oh, has, we're, we're going to out her, throw her. No, we're, 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 we're outing her. <laughs> Alessa, number one, thanks for your support and your knowledge. She's been keeping reptiles for over 20 years. Um, and she's, she's been keeping retics for a good bit now, but she has a male retic that during this cool time during the season and temperatures are dropping she was just holding her male retic and he decided to drop a sperm plug onto her never once acting defensive towards her like my males have done towards me but this male literally you know shot out a sperm plug right onto her arm um i'm gonna get her permission to see if she's okay with this but she posted a picture on our patreon i'm gonna see if we can include this here for the episode for you guys of the sperm plug literally just shot right on her arm um i, I didn't know she posted the picture and i'm kind of glad i didn't see it <laughs> yeah no she 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 literally posted a picture on her forearm of this sperm plug that this male just was like here you go um and so you know, I'm not going to the stretch to say that our male retics want to breed with female women, humans, but um, from my experience of how my males change behavior towards me and what I've been informed by my mentors, um, and just in general, this whole rumor of how male retics can be finicky towards human males, um, just something that you need to be aware of. Um and, you know, for you female keepers out there, um, just watch out for sperm plugs on your forearms. Hey, at least they're not going to try to fight you. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yeah, so breeding behavior is something that we definitely need to make sure that we are on top of and being careful. Um, males are combative, as Nathan said. 
if you put a male and a male together on accident during the breeding season, it can be very catastrophic. What up, kitty? Um, so if you get an animal from someone, I've, I saw this pop up on the Retake Nation the other day uh, in a couple other places as well, but um, no matter how reputable the breeder is, it doesn't matter who the breeder is. If you're buying a male, they send you a male, double check, triple check. If they're sending you a female, double check, triple check. We all make mistakes. Um, and, and you know, sometimes you will get the opposite sex animal that you asked for on accident. Um, so, you know, if you plan on breeding, double, triple check those sexes to make sure because putting a male and a male together is asking for some serious, um, potentially life-threatening uh, situations that your snakes can be in. Yeah, and introducing snakes too young before they're sexually mature can also result in kind of the sim similar behavior. Uh, I mentioned it, I think, in an episode previous to this. Um, I had a snake that I rescued and then a clutch mate of that snake that I had already been raising up for a few years. I uh, had them both in my hands, was trying to take a comparison picture for the breeder, and the male was just kind of sketchy. He was just a nervous animal and went after the female. So, um, you know, you just got to be careful. Uh, they weren't they weren't sexually mature. You know, there weren't pheromones. We had a nervous animal around each other. You know, it, it can be a male and a female. It can be a male and a male, just hormones or not. You just got to be careful when you have your snakes interacting with one another. Yeah. And, and I don't know about you, but like every time I do an introduction, I feel like literally every time there's always a point in time, whether the male's mature or not, or it's a first time male, first time female, there's always a point in time where like when you put the male and the female in together and they do this and they're just, wait, where's my camera? They do this and they're kind of just like head to head. And it's the most nerve wracking thing to watch. Um, Fortunately moment for me, yeah, it's a moment of truth. Fortunately for me, the worst thing that's happened is a little boop and then they get scared and they go away. But, um, you know, it's, it's doing introductions can be nerve wracking. So I think one thing that's important to keep in mind is when you do an introduction, do not leave. Don't, do don't not leave, have a camera right on that enclosure. I like to leave, but I like to have a camera right on the enclosure so I can go in the other room and observe. So if I need yeah. to step in, I can step in. I typically, what I do is I have a camera on mine as well. Um, but what I like to do is I'll shut the lights off and I will just, I'll, I'll sit there for 20, 30 minutes and make sure nothing bad happens. Because I mean, when it comes to them possibly biting each other, wrapping each other, whatever the case may be. Um, I just, I've always felt that being just right then and there can possibly you know, reduce the risk of any long-term permanent damage that might really negatively impact them. But at the very, very least have a camera on them and watch them like a hawk for 45 minutes to make sure that they are okay. Um, you know, I, I think this is a good thing to talk about while we're on this subject. So Nathan, I'm going to let you kind of start about this one. What are some signs you need to be aware of that your female is like, Nope, not ready. It's not time. 
Uh, so the biggest things that I've seen in my collection is just tail wagging, peeing, and just running all over the enclosure, trying to get away from the other snake. Um, I've also heard that they can invert uh, and they can scent the cage a little bit, but also like spread some blood around. Yeah, so invert the the cloaca. So cloaca, if you, get, you yeah, so if you are watching them and you see your female literally push out her cloaca to where you can see flesh um, in her insides, um, she'll spray her pee and sometimes even blood will 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 pop up, um, and and you know oftentimes you'll see tail wagging right, and and a female will tail wag, and for me that's not a definitive sign that no, you sometimes need... they'll wiggle a little bit yeah they sometimes they'll trigger the male to know where where to go that kind of thing. yeah and and on top of that i mean i have females that sometimes play hard to get they'll buck they'll they'll sh throw coils they'll wag their tail but if i don't see excessive peeing or i don't see them push their cloaca out that's when i'm like honing in i'm focusing i'm, I'm watching them um, and for me, fortunately, even with those behaviors, I haven't had any issues, but, um, so yeah, tail wagging first warning sign where you need to really make sure that you're watching. Um, if your female is pacing back and forth, bucking off the male, um, pushing her cloaca out, spreading urine, blood to an extreme. And it happens that does happen. Um, get that male out of there. Your female is, is telling you and telling that male, get away from me. Um, well, and I've and even had it be on the much more mild side of that, where they're just totally uninterested in each other. They find yeah. another side of the cage and separate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your snakes are going to just listen to them, watch them, observe them and, and you'll, you'll get an idea of where you're at, but um, now that we're talking about where the female is at, I think it's, you know, this is kind of a controversial topic for some people in terms of when is it the right time to begin introductions? Um, cause there are two mainstream thoughts. There's the thought of doing early introductions when your female is slowing down on food. And then there are the other mainstream thought of the only time that you need to be doing an introduction is when your female is completely off of food. Um, so I think me and Nathan here are going to share our experiences. So Nathan, what do you do? Yeah. So as I was kind of mentioning earlier, uh, the first signs I look for during my, the start of my breeding season is just that, uh, increase in the food response of my females. Um, uh, like Lucas was saying, sometimes they can get a little bit more uh, twitchy, a little bit harder to handle during that time. Uh, and then the males will start cruising their cages a little bit more. Um, I don't start my intros really until that food response starts to slow down a little bit and that animal becomes easier to uh, maintain. Once it's back to that almost normal relationship I have with that animal, then I'll start thinking about doing early intros. Once yeah. I can sense that they're probably a few meals away, two to three meals away, I'm going to start 
seeing if the female is receptive to the male. Yeah. And that, and that's a good sign. And I mean, I've, I've literally been asked this question by experienced keepers before, and I've, I've gotten people like literally telling me that I'm a, 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 a piece of shit breeder because I've done introductions in the past when my female wasn't fully off of food. That's how strongly some breeders feel about like that topic, but I've done both. So like I've, I've, I do what Nathan does. So like I'll have, I'll, I'll observe and I'll see that my female has an intense feeding response. And then all of a sudden I'll notice that like, I'll, I'll be thawing out food and instead of her pacing the enclosure, she's just sitting there. I'll open up the sliding glass door and instead of her like right away being ready to go, she's just kind of laying there. I'll put the food in front of her face. She thinks about it and then strikes and then eats it. Right. Yep. I mean, during, during that time is like, I'll feel okay with after she digests that meal of putting a male in there and seeing where she's at. Um, but not all of my females will respond in that gradual way. Like my second year of breeding my wild caught female, her food response, and this is because I was also cutting her down on weight. And um, so just naturally that entire year, her food response, she was just, she wanted to eat me um, because I was, I was trying to reduce her weight and I was really restricting her caloric intake because she was a little on the heavy side. Um, and so that entire year, her feeding response was insane. And then all of a sudden one day I went to feed her and she was off of food. Um, and so when, because she was off of food, um, in that experience, I put the mail in with her and there was a lock within four to five, um, hours. And so, you know, if, if I'm going to advise you new breeders, you know, the safest, the absolute safest manner of doing it is wait until your female is off of food because you know for sure she has follicles building and she is ready to go. Um, you know, that is the safest bet. But if you understand and you observe your female's behaviors, you can get an idea of when they're getting very close. You can put males in to test the water. Um, but, you know, I've also been told by another mentor even recently that you know, if you see five, six locks with your animals, you've put your mail in too early, right? And and I mean, theoretically, in theory, that that's correct, right? Because, you know, if a male is locking, a confirmed locked and, and producing sperm plugs and it does its job and the female is primed and ready, it's going to go through that ovulation cycle when it needs to. And so... You know, but there's nothing wrong with early introductions as long as you're just really careful. And, and, you know, if your female still has a normal intense feeding response, it's not even close to breeding season, your temperatures in your area haven't dropped, and you're just like, let me throw in a male for shits and giggles. Like, don't do that. Like, well, and one thing we haven't mentioned quite yet during this is just like when that feeding starts to slow down and I'm just handling my animals when I'm putting back them back in, I'm going to be palpating them to feel for any follicular development. Yeah. And it starts off really, really small, like little, I don't know, a little bit bigger than like a big marble size is what you start to feel. And then it just starts to build from there. So like once yeah. I start feeling that follicular development, that's when I kind of start thinking, all right, it might be time to start thinking about 
you know, yeah. throwing a big meal and then throwing the mail. Yeah. For those of you that don't understand what we're talking about in regards to follicular development. So, um, female snakes that lay eggs, um, they have a reproductive tract and within that reproductive tract, um, are where they will develop eggs and those eggs will sit and then they lay those eggs. And so what we talk about follicles, follicles are basically unfertilized eggs that within them are jelly-like substance, right? They have not been calcified. They have not been fertilized, but they start to take the shape of what the eggs are going to do. Um, within their, 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 uh, sorry, my reflection is not good here. So I'm trying to do this. So anyways, palpating what Nathan is talking about is the idea that you grab your female as she's slithering into her enclosure, you go ahead and you curve your fingers into kind of her rib cage area from her mid body. And as she's going through, you start to feel for any lumps that, that pass through as she's going through your hands and on the bottom third of her body where the follicles will be developing, you'll start to feel these lumps. It takes a and, lot. And of... you'll know where to, you'll know where to feel too. You'll start about mid body. You'll hear a little bit of gas as you go through the stomach and, gurgling after you and... Kind of, yeah, after mm-hmm. you hear the gurgling stop, you start to feel where that follicular growth should be. Yeah. And what's crazy about like palpating is I've had like, I, you know, a previous mentor of mine that that's been doing this for, you know, 15 plus years is convinced that palpating is, is not true. And, and I will tell you from firsthand experience that I've been able to palpate experienced breeders have been able to palpate and, and feel follicular development. Like the, I remember the very first time it was last season in 2021 where I was like, you know what, let me try palpating. And the first, second time didn't, I didn't feel anything. And then all of a sudden when my snake, my, my cow toe was off of food, I decided to palpate her. And all of a sudden I felt lump, 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 lump. And when they're small, it's quick, but man, you can feel it. Um, and, yeah, it, and it, one it, tip I got from Garrett Hartle when I was going through my first breeding season, was use a paper towel to help kind of glide the belly through as you're palpating it's really kind of difficult to feel with just your hands for whatever reason but once you add that paper towel is just kind of a a medium for the snake to slither through it gets a lot easier to feel and and if you and if you are one with your snake like garrett is and and you you put your hands on the bottom of them he likes to rest his head on the back of the animal like (laughs) And he well, just, and like... he'll also like pull down too a little bit. Like yeah. as they're going forward, he's not just sitting there. He's kind of pulling as he's going with the snake. Yeah. Sorry for bumping the mic. No, that's Bump okay. The I'll, I'll... Great, great special if anyone <laughs> likes comedy. Um, so, um, yeah, so you could definitely palpate your females. For any of you that don't think palpating is a real thing, then you you clearly haven't haven't tried enough. But um. Yeah, we got off topic in terms of palpating, but um, yeah, so in terms of when is the right time to do intros, you know, people are going to tell you, uh, don't do it unless they're off of food. You know, I, I think that if you know your snake and you observe behavior, they're slowing down drastically on feeding response. It's okay to do it, but 
the way that I do it in my method, um, not everyone does it this way, but I will always, 100% of the time, I remove my female from her enclosure first. And the reason why I do that is because I want her to be 100% aware this is not feeding time. I take her out of the enclosure, I put her in a holding tub, I will put the male in, and I will let the male explore in her enclosure. And what I'm looking for is to see if that male is flicking his tongue in a weird way, if he's arching, if he's if his behavior is just weird, right? Like you put a male back in his enclosure, typical behavior that you see him. When you know that a male is really taking in the pheromones of a female, you can see it. You can see the male bopping his head left and right. You can see him flicking at weird non uh, like non-linear, not, not like rhythmic tongue flicks. It's really weird. Um, but once the male is in there and he gets to one side of the enclosure, I put the female back in there. So what that does for me, at least what I think it does for me and my peace of mind is it lets me know that the male has been, well, the female has been taken out. She knows she's not being fed. I take the male out, put him in another enclosure. He knows he's not being fed and then the female I put back in. And so they both are fully aware they are not eating. So I have yet to run in my three seasons of breeding. I have yet to run into a feed and response situation while doing that type of introduction system. Uh, yeah, same here. I, I haven't had any issues with any kind of feeding response or kind of combative behavior between animals. Uh, but I kind of do a little bit of both. I, if the animal is still on food, so the female's still on food, uh, then I'm going to take the female out, do what Lucas was saying, introduce the male to her enclosure, put her back. Uh, if the female's totally off food or damn near close, then I'm going to just based off behavior where the snake is then sometimes I'll put the male in while the female's still in the enclosure and monitor very closely. That That's a good point because right now I'm doing introductions with my ocelot to the tiger female that Rodney sent over to me. And she's been off of food for three, four weeks now, and I do not remove her. Um, I just tap her with a hook. She lays still. I put in the male. I keep the enclosure open and just continue to tap her as he's like going over her. Um, and then close up the enclosure. So I won't say cold cut, you know, it's not black and white. I don't always do what, what I'm saying, but that's only when the female's on food still that I will do what I mentioned. Um, so that, that, yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. great point. If my female's been off of food and has refused two meals. Yeah. No need to take the female out of that point. Just again, watch, be very vigilant. Okay. And so what are your thoughts on how long to keep the male in the enclosure? Cause I think our thoughts might differ a little bit here. Um, yeah. So I, um, I have, uh, really, I mean, it, it, it's really dependent. So, um, for me, um, Okay, so there, there's there's two school of thoughts here, or probably more, but you know, there there are people out there that say like if your female is off of food, don't remove your male. Like, don't remove him. And so there's the other school of thought that's like, you know, every three to four days, um, remove the male, let him reset, you know, feed him, 
put him back in and, and go through this four or five day cycle. Um, you know, this is not a cookie cutter situation. Um, and so I'll tell you just a little bit about like what I have done in different scenarios of different pairings. I think I've done one, two, three, four, I've done about eight different pairings. Um, so with that being said, um, when I was pairing my wild caught Kalatoas, my male, extremely combative, hated me, absolutely hated me. So I would wait for the female to be fully off of food. And while my female was fully off of food during that time that she's building follicles, am I boring you, Nathan? Jeez. <laughs> Didn't you mention at the start of this episode how late we're recording? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Um, you know, when, when, as my females are slowing down on feeding, um, I am giving the males a little bit more food. I'm priming them for breeding season, right? Just in case I need to do long intros. Um, so I have had seasons, um, you know, for example, my, my most recent clutch of, of Kalatoa, uh, that hatched early in 2022. Um, I put the male in, he locked, saw an ovulation within, 10, 15 days, I did not remove him, literally did not remove him until my female had her prelay shed because he had the weight and I observed his behavior. And what I noticed, which was pretty cool, was that he would, he would excessively arch lock with her. He would go crazy for about 24 hours. And then he would sit on the other side of the enclosure for two days. And then I would see him on day three or four back at it for another 12 to 18 hours. And so what I observed is that males are very much capable of regulating their ability to not exhaust themselves. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, I have a very young ocelot male that I've been pairing to this tiger female. Um, and, as soon as I put him in, he's arching, he's trying to lock. I notice a lock, but after 24 hours or 36 hours, he's stagnant. He's away from her. He's not doing anything. And when I notice him being lazy or not doing anything, I'll take him out. And one one of the one day, like it was two weeks ago, I took him out, went to work, came back home from work, put him back in, back to arching back to doing all these things. So all it took was eight to 10 hours for him to get back into breeding behavior. And so, you know, I can't give a clear cut answer other than, you know, if, if you haven't witnessed a lock, I play on the safer side, keep the male in there. Your male is not going to starve itself. It's not going to die. Um, if you keep a good eye on its body composition there's no such thing as overbreeding a male, in my opinion, if it's only being paired with one female, right? Your male is not going to overbreed and kill itself because it's only with one female. So keep the male in there if you haven't seen the lock. Take him out every 10 days. Give him a small meal, not a big meal. You don't want to try to introduce a, a full shed cycle for this male because then they'll really do nothing at that, you know, for some males. So feed it a small male to give it some calories, some energy, and put it back in. Um, that's kind of my system. During the breeding season with males, 
I feed them smaller meals and I try to do, you know, I, I really try to be minimally invasive. I don't want to go back and forth with taking them out, put them back in, take them out, put them back in. That was a long-winded answer, so I apologize. I was going to say, say, all right, Lucas's rant of the episode. Okay, yeah, that was the rant. There we go. We haven't had uh, that in a couple episodes. No, I mean, you you hit on a lot of the points that I was going to hit on. I, 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 like I said, keep a breeding cam on. I only have a handful of animals, and I'm not running multiple males, so I can keep an eye on the one male that I'm, I'm running this season. Uh, I remove him just when he's acting lazy on the other side of the cage, not really interacting with the female, that kind of thing. And typically I see that start to happen around day two. Uh, I'll leave him in there for the third day and just kind of watch his interaction towards the end of the day. If he's still kind of being lazy and not really showing interest, then I take him out. Um, I kind of got him a little chunky. I think I mentioned this in, uh, an earlier episode, but uh, I was getting him ready to breed this season and just put maybe just a tiny bit too much weight on him. So I don't feed him every time I take him out. I'll leave him for a couple days, put him back in with the female and then kind of keep him on his regular feeding schedule. So every couple weeks and I'm yeah. just watching body composition, like you said. So as long as he's still looking just, you know, nice and healthy, not too chunky, but you know, not skinny at all. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, now it's a different story and I haven't had this experience yet, but I can speak to what I've been informed about. And so, you know, take this for what it is. This is not my experience, but what I've been informed by a, a mentor of mine. But when you are pairing a male to multiple females throughout a season, you know, you do want to make sure that body composition is good. And that's where, that's where, um, I was, I was providing some enlightenment in regards to how to feed male retics. If you are planning to breed them to multiple females, um, you know, this mentor told me that he likes to feed his males, um, you know, smaller meals weekly to keep the male interested and geared towards wanting food on a weekly basis and not big meals to where the male might decide during breeding season, eh, just had a big meal. I can go off of food because sometimes if a male goes off of food during breeding season, while you're pairing it to multiple females, you might see body composition start to break down pretty quickly. Um, and so the idea behind that with multiple females is throw in a male with a female three to four days, take him out, give him a small meal, give him a day or two to digest, put him in with the other female, three to four days, take him out, give him a small meal a day or two later, put him in with the other female, and and so forth, right? You know, there's not a lot of people out there that are, are using a male for an insane amount of females, but, you know, there are very valuable animals out there that you want to run to your collection, um, this is my obligatory ocelot post, right? <laughs> so, so what you're saying is, if you're running to multiple females, that that weekly small small meal can be almost like a post coital cigarette, just you know, right? Exactly, right? Get, like, get nice damn, I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
exactly. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Just taking them out, small meal, rest a day in with another female because males will, you know, males have been known to decline food during the breeding season. And if you're running a male to a bunch of females, let me tell you, if a male goes off of food and you have a duty for this male to be with multiple females and that male doesn't want to eat, you know, it's a lot of work for that male to be courting, arching, locking, and doing all of that with multiple females without meals. So keep that in mind, you know, when you're, you're, you're feeding your males throughout the year. Um, yeah, I'm only breeding to two, so he, he can keep his ener- energy up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your, your male's beautiful, by the way. Body composition's good, um, in my opinion. I mean, he looks great. He looks like a good breeder fem- uh, male. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a great breeder male, and I, I don't think he's, like, fat by any means, but I, I got him up to size faster than expected, and, you know, with with the meals that I was giving him, I wasn't giving him small meals. I was giving him decent sized meals he was getting small rabbits you know he just he's looked good enough to where i i can kind of keep him on his regular feeding schedule uh he's gonna be switching to rats here with this cold-blooded cafe order coming in rabbits have been hard to find thank you black friday and thank you cold-blooded cafe for that sale because it saved me a bunch well, and I've been searching for rabbits. Sorry, little tangent, but I've been searching for rabbits for weeks and can't find them. So finally placed that cold-blooded or uh, cold-blooded cafe order. And as soon as I do, not even 12 hours later, I get a message from one of my rabbit breeders. Oh, I have uh, 10 rabbits that I'm going to be sending up your way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll yeah. I'll take them like yeah they'll sit oh, in my without, freezer for sure. I I have a couple local breeders that will I'll tell them ahead of time like the size that I'm looking for and um you know every two three months they're like hey I have this 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 weight this weight this weight and I'm like how much of it you know they're like two fifty three dollars a pound I'm like give me as much as you can like <laughs> because if you don't have a local person that can give you those kind of hookups. You know, uh, man, there are places that are selling rabbits for 20 bucks for a three pound rabbit. And it's like, no, there, thank you. there's places uh, near Salt Lake right now that are charging $20 per pound. That's insane. I, I, I understand, I've usually I understand gotten my during... rabbits from from three dollars to five dollars a pound is what has been usual in the past. So. Like this, this inflation really is hitting in every industry, not just the reptile industry. It's hitting every animal industry, for sure. any, any industry you can think of. I mean, besides maybe the other industry I work in hair, there's always going to be heads of hair to cut. So that that's nice, but not much else is recession proof. Ooh, speaking of recession proof, good episode for, for sometime soon recording is, you know, being a breeder throughout a recession um anyways with that being said yeah no this I, is I, too, too soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i think that that's a, a good important topic to talk about you know i mean i have this is my biggest season ever with four planned clutches and we're in a recession you know so i think it's just it, it's it's a good reality check on what to look for what to do and and anyways 
tangent over Nathan. Four clutches, there... and you might you might have some of my babies sitting there, and until they get sold, so you you you're gonna have a whole lot of uh, dude. Send I, I okay if if we're like let me know if we're doing this. I would be happy to do that. I'll well, order I, it. I I need to know just the timing of when these clutches are dropping, and then I'll have to make my decision. Then let me know. Um, anyone else who wants to use me to sell their animals, use me. I am your toy. <laughs> um, um, as long as your lineages are good. Um, anyways, so with that being said, anything else you want to talk about introductions that you think it's important that we didn't hit? Not that I can think of right now. Um, I want to make sure that everyone, again, is supporting US ARC. Make sure you're becoming a member. I think for a student membership, it's as little as $5 a month. So make sure you're signing up um, whenever they have a call to action through one of their newsletters, make sure you're supporting there. Uh, we have that awesome Patreon that Lucas was talking about an awesome community full of 33 members, a discord that's active every single day, all day, all can, night. It seems can like, I, can I, can I, can I comment on that? Uh, sure. Go for I'm not. It. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to brag. Like I'm not trying to say we have an awesome community and join up to try to get your sale. Because at the end of the day, what me and Nathan do with our Patreon funds is literally goes back into what we're doing here. We don't pocket any of it. It's not for us. But literally, I, I'm a member of six different Patreons. We have an extremely active Discord, and when I mean extremely active, we have people from Boa Keepers you know, uh, arachnid keepers to, to, you know, we have people in other countries and the amount of interaction, like I do my best to just take a step back and like not engage, but the conversation's so good that I'm like a member of my own discord. Like I have to engage because the conversation is just so fulfilling and good. So, um, yeah, yeah. we have awesome people on there. And, uh, I think something that we've hit on very early on was we just want to keep this as positive of a community for dwarf super dwarf mainland whatever retic keepers and just provide a place for us to kind of grow together um and our community has been nothing short of that so far so yeah thank you so, guys you guys are really what makes that possible uh yeah. so join our discord today or yeah, join our Discord today, but you have to become a Patreon member first. So uh, join at the Bitch. link in the description. Yeah. Um, again, thank you guys so much for joining us on another episode of the Retake Lounge. You guys have a good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. Whenever you're listening to this, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>